0: So good morning, guys. And uh, so I've been thinking a lot about flourishing probably for the last couple years. And so it's been it's been amazing to actually get in a space where more people are thinking and talking about it. And so I hope that you guys are also enjoying the series, but also being challenged and having opportunities to to actually work this out in community, because I think the reality is, is that we're often, we think we know what flourishing is, but we don't really, um, it doesn't always align with what God has to say about flourishing. And so um, what we're really finding is that we're, we're consistently actually being told what flourishing looks like. And, and even our own hearts, you know, have these, our desires of, of what we think will bring us flourishing. But we need to continually be evaluating whether that aligns with what God has to say, what God, how God has designed us to flourish. Because ultimately, He is our good and loving Creator, um, and He's designed us to flourish. That's what this whole series is 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 actually about. It's that it's it's to remind us that God has designed us to flourish. That that's his heart towards us. But he has also designed us um, to be in relationship with him, to commune with him. And that's really what true flourishing is. It's to come under his rule and reign in our lives. It's to not choose our own path, but to, to look to him ultimately for what our path should be. And if we're choosing to be our own rulers, we're actually not living fully human lives. Because what it means to be human is to commune with God. And so the aspect of, as Nathan said, that I'm gonna be talking about today is, is, is mental flourishing. And and just a reminder, we've broken our lives, and we've broken ourselves for this series kind of into these things like mental, and physical, and and financial. But actually, and that's to make it easier to talk about and to teach, but in reality, if I'm gonna flourish or not, I flourish as a whole person. And so these things are interdependent and they overlap and, and the what I do with my mind, what I do with my body, either is leading me towards flourishing or it's leading me away. And so what will lead me towards flourishing with my mind, with, with, with how I use my mind? And I think that we live in an age that there is more competing for our minds than ever before. There's more, our, our thoughts are busier, because what one author called information gluttony, I, I, it's such a vivid term, but it's, it's, I think it's, it's very true because we are, we have an abundance of information that, that we have access to, more so than any other. Um, I read something lately that uh, I, it actually kind of blew me away and it's, it's a couple years old, but in 2019, a single minute on the internet saw the transmission of 188 million emails, I think about half of them end up in my husband's inbox, but um, 18.1 million SMS's and messages and 4.5 million videos viewed on YouTube, all in one minute. By 2020, there were 40 times more bytes of data on the internet than there are stars in the observable universe. So that's a lot of information flying around, right? And what's even more mind-boggling is that that information is on our phones, in our pockets, accessible any time of day. You know, when I was a kid, and I might be dating myself a little bit here, is that when I had a re- school report or if I had a question, I had to actually go to the library, or at the very least go to the bookcase and get, put out an, an actual book, an encyclopedia, right? Some of you guys probably don't really don't remember what that's like. And, but the thing is now we don't even need to type in a question to a search engine. We just have to ask Siri. So we're overwhelmed with information. Our minds are flooded with data and input. We're actually finding that our brains can't take all the information that we have access to. And what's worse is that not all of this information is good and trustworthy. Now this isn't necessarily a bad thing. If those of you guys that know me well know that I do like a little bit of information, or a lot, you know, some people collect stamps or whatever, I collect information. and uh, So it's not necessary, there's advantages to this. But what we're finding is that easy accessibility of information, and let's be honest, distraction, because that's often what it is. We just want to distract ourselves from what's happening in our lives, or we want to feel like we know the right things. But it's taking quite a toll on our mental well-being and how our brains function. So, results of the information age at our fingertips, right, is that we're seeing increased levels of stress and anxiety. I mean, think about it. We know what's happening all over the world instantly. All the bad, because that's what brings clicks, right? And so, obviously, that would bring some anxiety. We're seeing loneliness, depression, Decision decision paralysis, We have so much information that we can't even make a decision because what's the right one? And we're seeing polarization because those algorithms, they just kind of feed what you already believe. And so you get so entrenched in your view that you cannot understand how anyone else could think differently. And so it's bringing brokenness in relationships. Gosh, this doesn't sound like mental flourishing to me. And it definitely doesn't add to flourishing of a society. And so how do we find mental flourishing? How do we use our minds, the mind that God has given us, to pursue the path of flourishing? in our current age. And I believe it's the same way that we've always needed to find mental flourishing. And I, feel, I believe the Bible tells us to seek wisdom, because it is clear that more information is not necessarily leading to wisdom. In fact, what I think is happening is that we get so spoon-fed information, it disguises itself to us as wisdom. And so this morning, what we're gonna do is I'm gonna talk to you to answer just two questions about seeking wisdom. And they are, what are the benefits of wisdom? What does wisdom produce? And then how do we seek wisdom? And I'm hoping that that will be a little practical for you. Because it's, it's great to talk about these things, but if we don't walk out with, now what? Then what is it? And so what are the benefits of wisdom? And so we're going to look at Proverbs 3, 13 through 26. Now, Proverbs is a great book to go to about wisdom, obviously. And we could probably go a little bit of anywhere. And so I would recommend it to you, particularly the first seven chapters, which is this idea of what is wisdom and what does wisdom produce. And so verse 13, blessed is the one who finds wisdom. So that, so that term blessed, right, some translations say happy or joyful. And isn't that what we're longing for? If we're really honest, we're looking for a depth of happiness, something that, does, that lasts. So that it produces joy in us. So blessed is the one who finds wisdom. So wisdom is findable. We often can think it as elusive, but actually in the book of James we read that all we need to do is ask God and he will give it. And so it's from God as well. God, God gives wisdom. And the one who gets understanding for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who lay hold of her. Those who hold her fast are called blessed. So King Solomon here is writing, and he's writing to his son, and, and, and what he is teaching is that wisdom is worth more than all the riches of the world. Wisdom is better because it cannot be lost or destroyed. So we, we, we seek, right, riches, we seek these things because they think they'll actually give us what we, what we long for. But in reality, there, there's no promise of riches. And when they're gone, then what? We're seeking more and more. But wisdom will shape you into the type of person that can use God's good gifts for his glory. They will put, the, put those um, riches in the right place. Right? We're not putting our hope or our security in them. Wisdom gives contentment and peace no matter what the circumstances you find yourself in. Because wisdom is eternal and stuff isn't. In verse 19 it says the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. So actually, God used wisdom as a tool for creation. And so we seek wisdom because it gives us insight in how the world works. It gives us insight into how to rightly order our lives. It gives us the ability to rightly know how to live by the God-ordained order of the world so again it it changes our mind to line up with how God desires us how God created us verse 21 goes on to say my son do not lose sight of these keep sound wisdom and discretion and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck, then you will walk on your way securely, and your foot will not stumble. If you lie down, you will not be afraid. When you lie down, your sleep will be sweet. Do not be afraid of sudden terror, or of the ruin of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord will be your confidence, and will keep your foot from being caught. We seek wisdom because it actually offers what we're longing for. So I wanna highlight those words again. Life for your soul. Security. Isn't that so often what we think flourishing is? And we chase after so many things, a a spouse, a a, a good job, a house, all those things because we wanna be secure. But this is saying, wisdom gives security. We won't stumble. We'll have no fear. We'll sleep sweetly. How many of you lay in your bed sometimes with your mind racing because of anxiety, because of decisions that need to be made? And just this week, I I had terrible nights of sleep because of of worry. But what this is saying is that wisdom, we can rest. Wisdom provides rest. And then the last one, Lord will be your confidence. And this is also translated the Lord will be by your side. What could be more confidence? What could be more of flourishing than the Lord being by our side? So we seek wisdom because it actually provides what we're looking for. It provides the flourishing life. Those are flourishing words, right? To sum this up, what does wisdom produce? Wisdom gives us freedom from the attainment of things that don't last. Because wisdom is eternal, and it puts things in their proper place. Wisdom gives us understanding of how to rightly live life the way God designed it. And finally, wisdom gives peace of mind. It gives rest to our souls. And all of these benefits of wisdom, like everything in the Old Testament, is actually pointing to something bigger and greater. It's pointing forward to see that actually, all of these are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Because Jesus gives us freedom and brings us life. And it is Jesus who rightly lived, and ro- lived perfectly, and enables us to do the same. And it is Jesus who, who, it is in Jesus that we have peace and rest for our souls. So Jesus is our wisdom, he is wisdom incarnate. We seek the one who, as Paul in 1 Corinthians said, became the wisdom from God to us. He is the one that is able to quiet our minds, that race from the onslaught of information and the noise around us, and the noise in our own minds. He is the one that leads to flourishing because Jesus is flourishing. He is our flourishing. We are made to commune with God. And it is through Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, that we commune with our Father. And so how do we seek wisdom? How do we seek Jesus? And I just want to highlight three practices or habits of grace or spiritual disciplines, whatever you want to call them that I think in our particular context where our minds are overwhelmed with input that will help us seek the wisdom that we so long for. And these by no means are the only ones, but I think that I've found particular, they are particularly helpful to quiet the noise in and around me, and to quiet my own my own head. And so the first one is meditation. And simply put, Christian meditation is filling your mind, okay, so that's key, it's not emptying your mind, it's filling your mind with the words of Scripture, with a receptive heart, trusting the Holy Spirit to work in and throw those words. And so there's a time for reading large chunks of Scripture to see the the broad landscape. I am all for that. But sometimes we need small chunks. We need to slow down and ponder God's revealed word to us. So Eugene Peterson says in one of his books that, that as we meditate, we need to chew on the words and enjoy them as a dog with a bone. That's great imagery, isn't it? Anyone that's seen a dog like take a bone is that they're going to get everything that's, that they can out of that. And so we don't just read a verse or two to check it off, but we chew on it, we devour it, we let it get into who we are, we pray through it, and we ask the Lord to make it real to us. So in Philippians 4, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. But how are we to recognize what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is lovely, if we haven't trained our minds through the gazing at the standard of those things? Because God gives us, He reveals all these things in His Word. So meditation grows in us discernment to identify the real thing and spot its counterfeits. And that's wisdom. So the practi- second practice I want to highlight is, is silent prayer. So in his book, The, the Deeply Formed Life, Richard Vallados says this about silent prayer. In basic terms, silent prayer is the practice of focusing our attention upon God through the simplicity of shared presence. It's surrender surrender of our words to present, to be present with the word, with Jesus. There's been much talk in our culture about the benefits of mindfulness. The difference between mindfulness and silent prayer is communion with a person. The object of silent prayer is communion with God. So silent prayer challenges us. It challenges our addiction to amusement, to distraction, and just noise. It it forces us to face what we're running from, what we're hiding from, and it allows us to hear the voice of our Father. It requires patience and waiting, and let's be honest, many of us could grow in this area, including myself. But it, and it can feel so unproductive. So what are we actually doing? We're not doing anything. But actually, it's doing something very important. It's growing in us the understanding and wisdom that the world can go on without us and our activity. The world can survive, the people around us, our jobs, whatever it is that that we spend our time doing, those things survive without us for 10 minutes, 20 minutes, an hour. It gives us the wisdom and truth that the most important thing in our life is not our agenda. We need to make space to be present with God, to hear his voice. And sometimes the most important wisdom that we need in those times is to know that we're loved and to rest in it. And so the final practice, so we've talked about meditation and, and silent prayer, and, and I wanna talk about a third one, repentance and confession. So Martin Luther once wrote, our Lord and Master Jesus Christ willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. And I re- recently read, um, that Jesus' call to repentance is, is actually an invitation to us to reorder our lives around him and his kingdom. And I think that is what actually Martin Luther's getting, getting at, is that a life of repentance is a recognition that, that I wanna order my life around me. And I wanna put my faith in my own wisdom and not God's wisdom so the practice of repentance is is coming humbly before our God and creator and 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 acknowledging that the real battle that there is a real battle that's going on in our minds and in our lives and so it's coming before the Lord and saying not my wisdom but yours Not my faulty ideas of flourishing, the things that I think that are going to to fulfill me and secure me, but yours. And then it's asking the Father to help us, to walk in the ways of the wise, to help me to walk with him. So I want to commend these practices to you. If, If none of these things are currently in your rhythms of life, then choose one and make it small, right? Don't think that you can choose silent prayer and then for an hour be silent. Don't even think you can do it for 10 minutes if you've never done it. So start small, don't, don't set yourself up for failure. And make this a community thing. Get people, get friends and say, hey, I wanna try this, what do you think? And, and then encourage each other in it. And then come together and, and talk about where it's hard and why it's hard. Because there is gonna be resistance in these things. And encourage one another. So these are not magic bullets, right? These aren't just self-help tips. But they are a way to help train ourselves to, walk, to find and walk in wisdom. To train us to live in the presence of Jesus. It is in the training, in the quiet moments, that God actually forms us into people that can hear and recognize and respond to his voice in the midst of the noise. It is in You cannot think that if you don't take the time to allow God to form you, to massage truth into you in quiet moments, that you will be able to live rightly in the midst of noise, in the midst of distraction, in the midst of all the things that people are throwing at you. And we need training. And it is a battle. You know, the majority of the storyline of scripture is actually God inviting his people to be with him, to commune with him into a life of flourishing and his people walking with him for a bit and then kind of veering off on their own ways because of their own rebellion, because of what culture is yelling at them from all sides. And that's our reality too. We are being pulled back and forth and our hearts deceive us and we need to to fight for flourishing to fight to live a life of communion with God. It is not always easy. And I think that we have, this idea that flourishing and the easy life is synonymous, we have to get rid of it. Because it isn't easy, but it's beautiful and it's life-giving. but I just want to end with an encouragement to you so yes the life of flourishing can feel like a fight and it can feel like a slog at times but God is committed to what he has started he is committed to creating a people who flourish with him and the Bible is bookended by these two beautiful pictures of flourishing. So we've talked about the first one several times, right? Genesis 1 and 2 give us an understanding of how and why we were created. We see man and woman living in beautiful community with one another and with God. And God said it was very good, right? But then we know what happened and we find ourselves being tugged and pulled. But at the end of the Bible, we again have two chapters of flourishing. And guys, when you're discouraged, I would encourage you just to go and read it. Because God shows us in Revelations 22, 21 and 22 what is to come. How all things will be made new and his plan is fulfilled, right? All the noise fades away. So yes, choosing flourishing in this life can be hard, but one day, we will live and continually flourish. We will live in communion with God forever. So one of the most beautiful passages of Scripture is Revelation 21 through three and four So take heart, friends. It's a fight, it's worth it, but there's a, there's a day coming when the fight will end. So I just wanna pray for us as we end today. So Father, thank you that you care about our flourishing. Father, thank you that you, that you desire us and have designed us to flourish. Lord, I pray that we will choose a path of wisdom. Lord, in the onslaught of of all the things that, that are going on in our minds, Lord, would you train us in your wisdom? Would we commune with you so that we have tools to live life in the midst of brokenness around us? And Father, would we take heart that this is just a short season because the end will come and we will have communion with you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.